All right, I'm joined by Christo Avalis. He's a YouTube commentator, historian, and writer. Christo, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So I've had you on the show before. Uh, this time I want to have you on to talk about the NDP's New Deal for People. Uh, before we get to that, though, what is your... Uh, so you're engaged with the NDP. Uh, what actually is uh, is your position? Yeah, you know, I'm a card-carrying member of the NDP. I try to disclose this on my channel when... When it's when it's relevant, I, I I'm a vice president of my local riding association in Kingston, Ontario, and I also sort of sit as a delegate to the party's provincial council, which meets a few times a year. But you know, I've never been a paid staff person for the party, uh, you know, no, not now and, and not ever before. Yeah. So for disclosure. Cool. Yeah. Yep. Um, all right. So before we even get to the the NDP and and what they uh, plan to do uh, for this uh, uh, election coming up. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about Trudeau and the Liberals. So we've almost had uh, f four years of, of Justin Trudeau and, and, and the Liberal Party. What has been your takeaway so far from Trudeau and the Liberals? Well, I think a lot of people are disappointed. I think there was a lot of optimism when Justin Trudeau was elected. You know, as you saw, unlike with Ford or Trump down south, Justin Trudeau, when he won, had massive approval ratings. There were some polls done right after the election that put the Liberals at like 50%. And there was a real sense that Justin Trudeau was actually going to be different. He was going to keep the promises he made on electoral reform, on cutting fossil fuel subsidies, on you know providing a better future for young people, on reconciliation with indigenous peoples. And I, you know, I could go on and on and on. And on all of those things, Trudeau has really failed. And sometimes he's failed because he's you know, he's just not done the job right. But in other cases, he's failed because he lied about his intentions. You know, with electoral reform, he could have done something. He could have implemented a system. He could have either implemented his ranked ballot system, which again would have been controversial, but he could have done it. He could have implemented mixed member proportional, which would have gotten support from both the Greens and the NDP. He could have even had a referendum where first past the post was left off the ballot saying that I'm going to have a referendum between various proportional and non-proportional systems, but none of them will be first past the post and we'll let the public decide. And he chose not to do that. And on climate change, we see that the Liberals have implemented a carbon tax. We've just heard today that that carbon tax is, is constitutional, but there hasn't been nearly enough done to, you know, to tackle the urgency that climate, you know, that the climate crisis uh, means to Canada. And I think it goes to the fact that the Liberals are in this constant tension. They need the broad base of progressives in Canada to win, but the Liberal Party doesn't represent those people. Their interests of the Liberal Party are the interests of kind of corporate Canada. And there are times when the Liberals can, can sort of skate that line, and there's no party better at skating that line than the Liberal Party. Maybe in the yeah. world there's no party better at that. But there are times, like with SNC, or when it comes between saying we want to have a climate emergency, but we're also going to build the pipeline that's going to worsen mm -hmm. the climate emergency, or you know we want to uh, talk about defending workers' rights, but we're going to stomp on the charter rights of postal workers. And so in any one of these kind of cases, they always lean towards the corporate side, towards the elite, towards the, the 1% and not the 99%. And I think a lot of Canadians are disappointed. Now, the Liberals are still polling you know, in, in second place, maybe first in a few polls. There are still a lot of people who are voting for them. And there are a lot of people who are afraid about splitting the vote and, and, and you know, giving their vote to the Greens or the NDP or the Bloc or what have you. 
but I think a lot of people are really disappointed in Justin Trudeau. And one of the big factors is that Trudeau was extremely popular until basically like January or February. Yeah. That despite most of we, – we already knew a lot of this. He had already started to lie about climate change. He had broken his electoral reform promise. The postal workers had just been legislated back to work. A lot of promises were – like, you know, the gay blood ban, which he promised to abolish. He didn't, he didn't abolish. And, and all of that happened, and he was still very popular. Mm-hmm. And it's like when SNC happened and the treatment of Wilson-Raybould and Philpott and, and even Cesar Savan happened – his numbers tanked, and now he's the most unpopular of the major party leaders, at least according to some of the polls we've seen. You know, Sheer and Singh are both you know moderately unpopular. Elizabeth May is actually quite popular, but Justin Trudeau is very unpopular right now. And mm-hmm. it's going to be very interesting, I feel, because 2015, it was so much about the Justin brand about what, you know, the vision he brought, like the, the the history of, you know, another Trudeau and this young, dynamic, progressive, charismatic leader who's going to have his sort of Obama moment. But but unlike Obama in some ways, he's, he's going into the end of his, you know, first term, you know, much more unpopular. And I, I think that, you know, it's going to be a real question about how the liberals approach this election, where... Justin isn't the meal ticket he was four years ago. Yeah. And I think, I mean, at least for me, I think the reason why the SNC-Lavalin case for him was such a, a huge factor in terms of him losing popularity is because at that point, I think the mask was off. I mean, at that point, I think it was obvious. There was no more hiding it. The Liberal Party is is more interested in, in um, protecting massive corporations then they mm-hmm. are in doing the right thing. And I think it was clear in that moment. And, you know, an issue that I wish people got more riled up about it, before that happened is electoral reform. Yeah. I yeah. mean, this is an issue where he, he like, <laughs> the campaign in, in, uh, in 2015, so hard on electoral reform. I mean, they yeah. rode that till the end. And then just to completely abandon it, for me, was massive because it showed you that they realized yeah. if they had pushed for electoral reform, then that could be the end of them because then that gives potentially more power to the NDP and the Greens. Yeah. So it yeah. was sort of their way of of just uh, of using a, a campaign issue as a way to win and then completely abandon it after realizing that the, the reason that they won was because of the current system. Yeah. So it's, it's I mean, this is a, a scenario where it's really hard to imagine the Liberal Party ever going through with electoral reform and especially the Conservative Party, because these are two parties that benefit from the current system. Yeah. You really need a, a party like the NDP to come into power to be able to actually transform the system, because they'll be aware enough to know that this might not let, uh, last forever for them. And yeah. it, it may be the, the NDP's one chance to actually change the system. So, yeah. I mean, on that issue, I hope that's going to be one of the issues that um, that Jagmeet Singh focuses on in, in the upcoming election. But um, let's get to this uh, new, uh, what is it called, the new platform New deal for people. New deal for the yeah. people. NDP, so, uh, yes. Yeah, and I yeah. noticed that. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually a very yeah. smart way of putting it. So yeah, NDP, new deal for people. Um, so first, give us the uh, sort of the, the bird's eye view of uh, what this is about. Well, you know, a few weeks before, you know, this was announced at the Ontario NDP convention. You know, there was a big crowd, uh, you know, a thousand people or more packed into a conference center in Hamilton. You know, we were there to, you know, p- talk about policy for the provincial party. 
But Jagmeet Singh came. Of course, he was the former deputy leader of the Ontario Party, and he announced his New Deal for People. And it builds on the sort of Green New Deal announcement that came a few weeks prior. And it's really the NDP's effort to sort of bring traditional NDP values and intertwine them with like the new realities of the climate crisis. Or not even the new realities, but the new urgency that Canadians are are feeling. Because the realities have been there for, for generations, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the NDP, I think more than any other party, at least thus far, saying like, we're going to tear down that wall between jobs and environment or between economy and environment. And we're going to say for the first time amongst a major political party that it's not jobs or the environment, it's jobs and the environment. And that we can actually use this time, use this opportunity to decarbonize the economy, but while doing so, not only prevent you know inequality from getting worse, but actually start to address inequality, start to address racial injustice and geographic injustice and, and above all, you know, social and economic injustice through a Green New Deal. So the Green New Deal plan isn't just about decarbonizing. It's got a national infrastructure program, which will employ a lot of people, uh, you know, directly and indirectly. It's not just about, you know, lowering uh, vehicle emission, although that's part of the plan. It's also about working with cities to provide uh, not only electric public transit, but free public transit, uh, Mm -hmm. hopefully within a kind of 10 to 12 year timeline. And in so doing, you're creating this this view that you're you're, you're building the opportunity for a buy-in because the reality is is that we're we're facing climate catastrophe. Uh, but but working people, middle class people, they need to feel that they are being thought of in the transition. They need mm-hmm. to have that they because because the reality is that you need those people's votes. But, you know, if we are going to make the transition, you need that social consensus or you're never going to get a consensus. But you need a broad social like, you know, a broad social agreement to make this happen. And it doesn't happen without intertwining, you know, the environment and economy. That's where the Green New Deal policy comes out. But the New Deal for people builds on that green element and tries to talk about the sorts of things the NDP will do beyond the environment. And there was a few things that Jagmeet Singh noted. One was a big, a big focus on racial justice. That, you know, the original New Deal, of course, I know you've, you've probably talked a bit about it on your channel. You know, FDR's New Deal was great, but it was not racially equitable. You know, it, it did in some cases help African Americans, but in others, it, it set the stage for a post-war uh, era where, you know, white middle class and working class people could afford homes and many black people couldn't because of like the racist underpinnings of the New Deal. Jagmeet Singh's New Deal has kind of two major platforms. One is this real commitment to reconciliation with indigenous people, and another is to kind of fundamentally end carding and end the criminalization of recreational drugs, both of which disproportionately affect the poor, the young, and the racialized, especially if if you fit multiple of camps. Like if you're a young black man or you're a young man of color in Toronto, even though you're not necessarily more likely to use drugs or commit crimes, you're much more likely to be prosecuted because of police suspicion and racial profiling and things like that. So fighting for racial justice is a key element. Another key element is a, a comprehensive dedication to medical care. 
where, you know, while Bernie Sanders is fighting for Medicare for all in the United States and taking a broad view here in Canada, we still have to kind of build on Tom Lee Douglas's dream. So for Singh's perspective, he wants to say, look, Tommy Douglas had this dream of Medicare for all, that everybody, regardless of their race or their gender or their class, would get the medical care they need. And it was a success, but there's still a lot more to achieve. We need dental covered. We need mental health covered. We need pharmaceuticals covered. We need optical care covered. And, you know, and on and on and on and on. And so he's put out a plan for this head-to-toe health care plan that's going to cover the existing things not covered and not through an Obamacare style supplemental plan, which I think is what we'll see from the liberals. I think they're going to offer something and that's probably going to be what it is, Mm -hmm. but rather uh, a single payer plan. And Singh's line is when you go to the pharmacist, you won't need your credit card anymore. You'll pull out your health card to get the prescriptions you need. And I think that's an effective line and a crucial aspect here. Um, is that and this is the biggest departure from Tom Mulcair and from the even from Jack Layton to a certain degree is that Singh isn't shying away from the big question that the NDP gets in a way the liberals and conservatives never do, which is how are you going to pay for it? And he says, well, we're going to tax the rich, right? We're going to tax the rich. We're going to have a wealth tax at one percent over 20 million. We're going to raise the capital gains inclusion rate from 50 percent to 75 we're going to raise corporate and income taxes. And then beyond all of that, we're going to actually empower the CRA to enforce the tax laws that already exist, to, you know, to collect the money that should be collected under the existing code. And so whether or not you agree with Singh's plan, he's leaning into the idea that the, the reason we don't have Medicare for all, a true Medicare for all in Canada, is because insurance companies and the wealthy don't want us to have it. And so we're going to achieve that by taxing those rich corporations and those rich people. So it's Singh, even though it's not as bold to say Jeremy Corbyn, of course, um, is kind of leaning into class conflict in a way Tom Mulcair never would. And I think mm-hmm. that's why a lot of people are excited about this new deal, because there's there's a vision there. And even if that vision is going to turn some people off, it's going to be you know assertive in what it is. And I think a lot of people will respond to that. So... Uh- I do really like how they are presenting this because uh, oftentimes when it comes to these issues, we often look at them as all these separate issues. So say we think of climate change as separate from tax policy, as separate from uh, healthcare, or whatever. So being uh, putting it all in kind of this one package, I think it is an important way to sell it. Um, also, there's also, I mean, there's this ongoing perception that if we do anything about climate change, it will negatively impact the average person. Like their taxes will go up. There'll be a gas tax or something. How do you combat that? that misconception that people will be that the the average person will be impacted when you uh, do something to uh, improve our our climate situation well there's a couple things one thing and maybe this is less politically I I might not say this if I was running for office but it (laughs) needs to be said that like the regular working class people when climate catastrophe hits, and maybe they'll be dead, but their kids probably won't be, and their grandkids almost certainly won't be, regular working class people aren't going to be taken care of by the elite 
when you know flooding starts happening on a massive level and fires start happening on a massive level and droughts start happening on a massive level. As we see in the developing world, no one gives a damn about the regular working people in those countries and no one will here. So in a sense, it's, you know, we got to do something now because the, the, the social consensus will break down if we don't. So that's a little bit doom and gloom. But I think what you have to say is you have to balance things. You have to make it clear that the transition will you'll do the utmost to make it a just transition. Not every single person can be guaranteed that their lives won't get will get better or won't have you know big changes, but that you can promote policies that look to take the people in the affected industries and give them the work they need. Um, you know, whether it's transitioning people who work in oil and gas, some of them could be transitioned to green energy, or whether it's taking some of those workers and transfer, transferring them to, um, uh, you know, in infrastructure work and retrofitting work. That's mm -hmm. possible. Another factor you have to look at is, is, like, is the fact that you want to levy the taxes on the rich. You want to design your tax programs so that, you know, people... Um, the, the, the people who have benefited the most from the carbon situation as it is actually pay for the reparations going forward to fix it. And this is always tricky. I mean, we, I think we're both critical of the Liberals' carbon plan or an, an, an environmental plan. But, you know, they've sort of tried to do that by ensuring that most people end up getting more money back. Uh, on the carbon tax than they pay than they pay into it. You know, they got, we, you know, on your, your taxes, you got a rebate. And most people, unless you're very wealthy, you tended to get more money back than you put in. And while a lot of people don't necessarily know that because conservative misinformation is very effective, that was an effort to sort of take a carbon tax and not have it be levied on the lowest income people. And I think that's a, a that's a, a factor you have to look at is that when you when you apply these policies, you want to ensure that they don't affect um, the people who are already struggling and from purely pragmatic political perspective, and this is something Tom Mulcair didn't understand, the rich people in this country, barring maybe a few, you know, doctors or professors or something, they don't vote for the NDP. They don't they don't vote for the NDP. So so screw them and tax yeah. them and then and then say to regular people, look, for maybe middle class people, your taxes will stay the same. And for the lowest income people, your taxes will go down because we can afford to do that. There is so much wealth in this country that you can actually start the transition and maybe even improve people's standard of living going forward. It's going to be hard. I do think that, you know, there's going to be difficulties. And on on a region by region basis, things are going to be more challenging. There are entire communities dependent on oil and gas. And so it's a bigger question there. And I don't have the answer personally. Like what happens to Fort McMurray? Like, for instance, right? Like mm -hmm. you can say on a national level, we can shift the economy and on an aggregate level, help working class people. But there will be real debates about on a community by community basis. What do we do to make the transition a just one? And those are questions no party has. Yeah. And like this is the kind of so you, you discussed the, the class conflict and how the NDP generally, uh, at least in the past, hasn't been as willing to really have that that fight and really take a side uh, in that fight, at least vocally, at least through messaging. How can the NDP change and and do that now? I mean, do you are you seeing signs that they are actually you know uh, that they're realizing that they must really uh, embrace the the middle and lower class and really uh, take up this fight and make it clear who they stand for and who they're with and what needs to be done in order to uh, to change things? 
I think there's movement in that direction. I mean, I, again, I, I, we, I mean, one of the first times I think we spoke back when you were back when you were on the radio, I think we spoke about this, how what Bernie and Ocasio-Cortez and, and Corbyn had done that. Mm-hmm. the And again, the NDP had done this for a long time, but they sort of stopped doing it. The NDP did this before Americans ever did this. You know, the NDP mm-hmm. had tons of Bernie Sanders's before Bernie Sanders even, right? It was a party yeah. of Bernie's in some ways. Maybe not in charisma and, and ability to rile up this this national movement, but mm-hmm. you know they had lots of people like that. Um, but there is this, the, I, I made the case that Bernie and Ocasio-Cortez, they were really just saying, yeah, yeah, the rich people shouldn't support us. I don't want the rich people's support. I don't need the rich people's support. I don't need to get big donations from Wall Street or corporations. I can win with the votes of regular people because there's many more of them than there's, you know, uh, uh, elites. And also, I don't even need their money necessarily because at least in Bernie's cases, I I can raise $27 donations from hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people. And that's more than enough money to run a campaign. And so I think in some ways, the Mulcair era was typified by this desire to not to be seen as a friend to everyone. Like the, to, to, or at least not an enemy of anyone. And I think Jagmeet Singh has, since he kind of went into parliament and then the last few months, has talked a bit about the rigged game. The rigged game that means people can't get the health care or the housing or the education they need. And how, you know, a well-connected liberal elite is unwilling or unable to provide the change Canadians need. And so in talking about the wealth tax and in saying, like, it's not only that we need pharmacare for all, but the reason we don't have it is because people have wanted us to not have it. You yeah. know, Canada has had the means to provide this for generations. We've been a wealthy enough society. And so the only reason we don't have it is because there are political and economic interests dedicated to stopping it. That's basically what Bernie Sanders said last night in the debate, which is that insurance companies exist to make money, not provide health insurance. And it's yeah. like, we need an actual crown, like they don't call them crown corporations down there. They like, but we need like a national system to provide these things. Even Elizabeth Warren saying like, we need a pharmaceutical company to produce the drugs themselves and, mm-hmm. and for, for the people outside of a profit motive. And Singh is moving in that direction. The party itself is bolder. You know, for instance, there was a resolution at the Ontario Convention that that not only called on GM to bring back jobs to Oshawa, those jobs that are disappearing, but said that if they don't, the Ontario government, in cooperation with the community and, and with the, 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 the federal government, should nationalize production there to build the green vehicles of the future, both individual and public. And that's a kind of policy that the NDP definitely had in the 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s, but in the neoliberal period sort of disappeared. But we're kind of in a post-neoliberal era. Not We're not in post-neoliberal era, but we're in an era now where mainstream political leaders can question neoliberalism and it isn't political suicide for them to do it. Yeah. Now, one of the... So what we're uh, seeing right now in the US is this mass mobilization of people that are aware of income inequality or how they're being screwed are aware that there are interests that are working against them and they are being mobilized, whether it's through the DSA or whether it's through a candidate like Bernie Sanders or Ocasio-Cortez. How can the NDP capture that same sort of energy? Because right now, 
I, I just don't notice, I mean, maybe I'm not in the right circles. I don't notice the same kind of um, fervor or anger uh, at the establishment uh, here in Canada as uh, you see in, in America. How can the NDP sort of create that class consciousness and uh, work to mobilize people to be able to potentially, uh, you know, uh, prop up a, a, a party like the NDP to be able to uh, eventually form government? Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. One of the challenges in Canada, and this is in, in juxtaposition to Britain and the United States, is that the, the inequality, at least in, over the kind of broad history in the last 30, 40 years, hasn't been as stark. Mm-hmm. And the class system in Britain being very rigid and the deep inequality in the United States being so much deeper than the inequality here um, makes that class consciousness argument a little bit easier. And even in 2008, like we had a financial crisis. Uh, but, you know, Canada's banks didn't collapse like America's banks did. Yeah. Foreclosures didn't happen in Canada like they happened in the United States. And so in some ways, because our crisis of capitalism was real, but not as extreme as you felt in parts of Europe and the United States and Britain and in other parts of the world, of course, the, the, the ability for the left to mount a counter assault is harder. Doesn't mean it's mm-hmm. impossible. It does mean it's harder. You know, it's sort of like how, you know, at the end of the World War, it became harder to be a socialist when social programs were being built and wages were rising and workers were unions were being recognized. And like it became easier to bring back those radical left wing solutions in the 70s when, mm-hmm. you know, the crises of capitalism returned. But because Canada fav- uh, weathered those reasonably well, in, at least in relative terms, it's been harder for the left here. Not only the 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 NDP, but the you know the 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 left even outside of a political sense. It just yeah. hasn't had the same the same backlash. Um, but you know the NDP, I think the way they have to they have to just keep plugging along. They need to keep plugging along on the idea that 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 left leaning policies are popular, that people want democratic socialism. I think people want it in the United States. They want it in Canada. They just need to be educated and informed on what that is and what that isn't. And they need to have that brought to them. And it need, the NDP needs to tear down internally, like in within our own minds in some ways, the kind of common sense of neoliberalism, which is that like people don't want to see taxes raised at all or that people don't want social programs anymore and blah, 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 blah. But there was a recent... Um, poll done by North 99 uh, and it was reported on by Ricochet and it was done by a credible Canadian pollster and they asked a few thousand Canadians what their thoughts were on a wealth tax uh, similar to what Jagmeet Singh is proposing and what Elizabeth Warren is proposing down in the States Mm -hmm. and they found that about 69% of Canadians support a wealth tax that's a ton of people that's a ton Mm -hmm. of people and crucially it was most popular amongst older voters, the very sort of people who vote, like the most, right? Like, yeah. you know, and crucially, again, a majority of people who identified as either like right of center or as conservatives, like as part, like as capital C conservatives, supported mm-hmm. a wealth tax on the wealthy, according to this polling, and fairly hefty majorities too, and ab- like ab- crushing majorities of Greens and liberals and NDPers supported mm-hmm. a wealth tax, right? And men and women supported it. People in every region of the country supported it, even in conservative provinces, like quote unquote conservative provinces like Alberta and Saskatchewan, 
You know, they they yeah. all backed it. So the NDP needs to look and say, look, the, the common sense of we needed to be like a, a neoliberal adjacent party to find success. That might not be true. We just have to be honest about what we are. And maybe that doesn't get us to victory in the absolute immediate term. But it does ensure that we have a group of passionate people who are willing to kind of push forward. And I mean, like Bernie, even if like even if Bernie wins the presidency this time, it took him losing fairly handily to Hillary Clinton. And we can have a debate about whether or not that was a fair primary process. It wasn't. Mm -hmm. But but he still lost. And I actually believe that even if it was a fully fair process, he still would have lost. I really I, I believe that because people weren't ready yet. But if you look at the party now, it's basically the Bernie show. People are either adopting (laughs) Bernie's policies or they're attacking Bernie's policies. Mm -hmm. But it's actually all about Bernie's policies. Like on the debate, you know, even Luke Savage in in Jacobin was like Bernie won the first debate. He wasn't even in it. He won that debate. And so the NDP needs to realize that you have to start doing that work. And I think, you know, I'm not saying anything's possible. We could see an NDP government. We could see a liberal government. We could see a conservative government. I don't know if the Greens are ready yet, but you could see the Greens get 20 or 30 seats, maybe even. This is going to be a wild election, absolutely wild. Anything's possible. But I think a very realistic possibility right now is it's going to be a minority government where the NDP and maybe even the Greens will have immense ability to hold the balance of power and having like a strong left vision, almost thinking ahead to the 2021 election because yeah. minorities last on average about a year and a half that had put us into 2021. You yeah. know, that's, I think, a vision that you need to work towards. You need to build that energy because I think if you do that, people are going to be more interested to, to do the work for you. I, I, I can say this as a new Democrat, you know, the 2015 campaign, I wasn't nearly as excited to work on that as I was on Andrea Horwath's 2018 campaign where we ran mm-hmm. on dental care and we ran on nationalizing hydro again. And we yeah. ran on not only protecting public services, but canceling contracts, um, you know, bad contracts with private companies. You know, once those contracts expired, we bring those services back into the public. And like mm-hmm. I was excited because if you could go to Ontarians and say, like, look, we got we got something exciting to tell you. And I could think that with, with this ND, the New Deal for people. I think a lot more people who are like friendly to the new Democrats are going to be more excited to actually do the volunteer work. And that's going to pay off in dividend. This is the whole thing with Bernie and Ocasio-Cortez. You know, they have incredibly impassioned groups of supporters. And you like you can't buy that. You can't buy that yeah. passion and the that's thousands right. and thousands of hours of volunteer work. You know, and so mm-hmm. the NDP needs to tap into that by actually inspiring young people and progressives and, and, and things like yeah. that. And I think that's the way forward. So that brings me to my uh, my last question here. And that's yeah. the media's role in all this. So I always go back to the media. I cover the media a lot on my channel, but yeah. it's because they they still have uh, a hold. I mean, there is a, a, a mass media. There is a media that yeah. people sort of watch that yeah. we all kind of coalesce around. Everything is based around what the media is saying. How do we change the conversation when at least i mean right now so we have a process where we have multiple parties but we're still oftentimes the mass media treats our politics like a two-party system so we'll we'll have the party in power and then the opposition party so because the ndp um isn't in either of those positions right now how can 
or what can we do to influence the media or maybe I mean, I'm sort of answering my own question here by having you on the show on YouTube. So yeah, yeah, maybe, yeah. maybe that's the role. I mean, so uh, how do you see the, the media's uh, impact on, on this year's election? And going forward, what can we do to, to change uh, how the media communicates what they communicate? Yeah, I mean, this is actually something I just brought up fairly recently, is that a lot of media, whether it's opinion pieces or news coverage pieces, on Pharmacare, for instance, a lot of them are talking about Pharmacare and they're not actually mentioning that Jagmeet Singh has come out with like a definitive, clear statement that yeah. you know he wants pharmacare for all, universal, single payer, coast to coast, done, right? Unequivocal statement. And the pieces don't have to agree with him. In fact, you know, you might think like right like some sources would disagree with his plan. But mm-hmm. it's like a lot of sources are are sort of not talking about it. It's like, what's Justin Trudeau gonna do? Yeah. You know? And it's yeah. like, well, like at the very least mention Jagmeet Singh's policy, because I feel like in a sense they're trying to obscure the reality. But the NEP will get coverage when, you know, a, a, uh, uh, a long running MP decides to not run again and saying Jagmeet Singh's failing as a, as yeah, a leader. That's, and things like. so <laughs> it's for those hit pieces. Yeah. And not the positive coverage in some yeah. ways. And again, that's not universal. There was coverage of, of Singh's. Um, uh, NDP announcement. There was coverage mm-hmm. of the Green New Deal announcement, but but sometimes in these pieces, you know, it's not noted th- th- that there's an alternative. And I've I've seen even good writers do this sometimes, where they've sort of talked about Trudeau and they've said, well, Shear's not doing something, and they won't mention that well, Singh or May or or whoever actually is talking about this policy, and whether or not you agree with it, there's something else being offered. And even just like a paragraph in an article could go to a reader, like a medium information reader who could read that and will then kind of take it on their own their own way. So I do feel the mainstream media sort of does this. I mean, back in the Ontario election, TVO, you know, Television Ontario, they did a primer on the election coming up. And in that primer, they did not mention Andrea Horwath or the NDP. They literally did not mention it. It, wow. she, her name did not show up. The you know you could keyword search ONDP New Democratic Party Andrea Horwath Horwath Andrea. None of it came up. Right, <laughs> I, I had to check like seven times because I didn't want to embarrass myself. Yeah. Like <laughs> tweeting this out, basically being like they didn't even mention her. And so, and as we know, you know Andrea Horwath finished in a strong second in that election. And and then if, the, if things would have gone a little bit differently, she could have won. But it goes to show that the media at the beginning of that election had a, a a concerted effort to kind of make it a win versus Ford context, yeah. even though that's not at all how it turned out. Yep. And so I agree 100%. Now, what we can do about it, I think it's we need to support independent left media. I think here on YouTube, you or I, you and I are some of the, the few people who talk about Canadian politics on YouTube. Yeah. There are some Canadian YouTubers who talk about politics, maybe from a right wing perspective, like JJ yeah. McCullough. There's a lot of those. Or, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or they talk about like, I know there are some, I, I, for, I'm, I'm losing names here, but there are Canadians who talk about progressive issues but they talk about broader kind of international trends or theoretical mm-hmm. trends. And that's great. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, I do a little bit of that too. And I know you do as well, but they're yeah. not like talking about like electoral politics and the news and, yeah. and the, 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 the day-to-day events. And so yeah. I think we need more of that. I, I you know, I wrote a piece for uh, Ricochet. I made a video about how, you know, anybody who wants to talk about current events from a progressive perspective, especially as it relates to Canada, sort of just needs to start doing it. And the more yeah. of us that do it, the more of us that come on each other's shows, 
the more we collaborate and, and kind of collectively promote one another, you mm -hmm. build those ecosystems. That's what the right's done, but that's yep. sort of what BreadTube's doing. That's sort of what HBOM and ContraPoints and Philosophy mm -hmm. Tube, they're not, they don't talk about Canada, of course, but they've sort of built this ecosystem of, of left-leaning YouTubers, um, yep. and, 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 and that's allowed for them to kind of all grow together, but also for new people to kind of come into those spaces. Um, and then beyond YouTube, it's like we got great media. Canada's actually got a great left podcast scene. You yeah. know, they got, you know, Sandy and Nora, mm -hmm. you've got 49th Parahel, you have the Alberta Advantage people, you have Dog Island. I'm, I'm missing tons. They cover politics from a good left perspective. I don't always agree with all of them on every issue, but they bring valuable commentary. And of course, there's good sources like, you know, the T. There's good sources like uh, Ricochet. There's good sources mm -hmm. for rank and file on labor news. And I think that's where it has to come from. The mainstream media has value. Of course, as you know, you had a role in mainstream media through your radio show. Yeah. And I have, you know, a pretty regular, uh, you know, uh, uh, I, I appear fairly regular on mainstream media. Mm -hmm. But even when I'm on mainstream media as like a, 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 a definitive left-leaning NDP voice, you know, the the way questions are framed and the way the, yeah, the framing is so much of it is mm -hmm. is it means that you sort of always have to be pushing the envelope a little bit, even in your interview to say, bring up the NDP to say, well, yeah. actually, and it's like you can't count on everyone to do that. So it's like you sort of have to play your role. So long story yeah. short, I, the, the mainstream media is a real difficult obstacle for the left to kind of break in because most newspapers in Canada are conglomerated in like the the post media system, which is definitely pro conservative, and even quote unquote progressive papers like the Star are largely liberal leaning. And outside of some media outlets, like online media outlets, there are very few sources dedicated to like the green or NDP perspective. And mm -hmm. so I think that we all have to kind of pitch in a little bit to do that. And I think that that's one of the things you or I are doing on YouTube, and and others hopefully will start doing as well. Yep. Um, I will say, too, that I feel like a lot of the media is simply in a bubble. And I do feel like a lot of times, say, that there's like an author of a piece, they just aren't aware that yeah. they ignored the NDP. Yeah. And it's not necessarily like intentional. So, yeah. look, if if, 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 if if there are people out there watching this, you don't have time to, st to start a, a YouTube channel. I'm telling you, I think social media pressure at least does something. And be kind yeah. about it. I mean, if there's somebody out there that wrote a piece, a lot of times these writers don't have many followers. They're just, yeah. they, they have their stuff published in, in the Toronto Star or wherever. Um, tag them in a tweet and just say, yeah. hey, I read your piece. I enjoyed it, but I thought you missed this. I mean, yeah. be kind about it. Uh, kind of plant the seed. And I think that also helps to maybe better inform uh, people that are writing about Canadian politics. But yeah, um, that's a, yeah, that's a great point. Now, just to, I mean, I've I've done some of that. You know, you don't want to embarrass people. You don't want to yeah. you don't want to impugn motive. I mean, there are some cases where yeah, some people who write uh, in in our national media, especially big names, like yeah, yeah, embarrass yeah the those hell people out of them, have right? their like, own, yeah, yeah. Some of these people are are are, are like are, are are awful and they're cynical yeah. and they're you know they're they're you know yeah. Go if Conrad Black, for instance. Like go after that guy, right? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, a yeah. lot of these writers, you know, they they're, they're writing pieces, they're doing a ton of work, they don't get paid a ton of money. Yeah, they're exactly. Probably per, a lot of them are precarious workers, and yep. you know, they're just getting that piece out. And so sometimes it is important to just drop those lines. And and I, often I've I've gotten people who say, you know, you're right, I should have maybe made that notice, or you know, mm -hmm. as I tried to balance the word count 
and maybe I should have been a little bit more careful. And I've noticed that going forward, sometimes you get a bit more notices there. So I think that you're right. You catch yeah. more flies with uh, with honey than with vinegar. Yeah. And I think that even when you when you interact with journalists on social media, that's that's very important to know. That's exactly right. All right, uh, Christo Avalis, thanks for joining me. Uh, tell the people where they can find you online. Yeah, you can find me, Christo Avalis, uh, you know, just on on, on Twitter, all, all all you know, no no dashes, no spaces on uh, Twitter. You can also find me on Facebook. I have like a public facing account. I have a page, so you can you can find me on Facebook just by searching Christo Avalis. And of course, I'm on YouTube. Uh, just the channel name is Christo Avalis. You can follow me there. Mostly cover Canadian politics, but I do every once in a while talk about. American issues or issues around, uh, you know, unionization and, and, and every once in a while, like pop culture and things like that. Yep. And yep. I'll have those links uh, below the video so it'll be easy to find him. All right. Uh, thanks again for joining me. Thanks again for having me.